Okay, so this is IPAC Network, a podcast and uh, educating Tony, and it's our second uh, installment on stress. Uh, in our first um, podcast, we talked a little bit about what stress was, you know, the link with humans, interesting points uh, that Lisa Hannaby raised. And again, Lisa Hannaby's with me today, so hi, Lisa. Hi, thanks for having me back. No problem. It's fantastic to have you back because it, it, I think some of the real excellent points you made last time, and we need to build on those. So uh, I thought today uh, in today's podcast, we'd talk a little bit about some of the causes of stress um, yeah. and then some of the th- things linked to stress with the food, because obviously you deliver the nutrition award, uh, uh, the canines and, you know, and also the educator award. I think, you know, with your organization, Nearest, I think it's really important to think about the foods that we eat. There's a lot yeah. of things out there about good foods, bad foods, you know, when to eat things, when not to eat things. But I think it'd be quite interesting what the links are with stress. Rather yeah. than just obviously, you know, whether it's just healthy eating or obesity, which we kind of hear all the time, but what are the links to stress? So first of all, what can cause stress? What what things can cause stress? And this, yeah, this is, um, the, I suppose this is the million dollar question, isn't it? And yeah. the, the reality is that any, you know, anything can cause stress to anybody. It is that sort of change in, you know, you're altering the, the workings of the, the body. Um, but I mean, for, for humans, we do have bad stress and we do have good stress. So I suppose our, our bad stress is, you know, when we're dealing with loss, um, moving house is a massive source of stress. Um, divorce, relationship breakdown, um, if we've got a loss of a job, which, you know, could be um, one of the things on a lot of people's lists with the last year. Um, Chronic illness or injury, that's another huge source of stress. You know, if you're dealing with a a long-term health condition, um, you know, and that's not only you personally, you know, you could be um, supporting a family member with a a long-term health condition. You know, that is, it's it's emotionally burdening, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, on top of that, it's any emotional um, challenge that, that, you know, you might deal with on a, a day to day basis. And I think that the point to raise is that everybody has a different capacity to to manage stress. And to an extent, we have got this genetic element as well. So so some of us are just actually um, wired better to deal with stress. So when we um, when we are stressed, we do have a release of certain hormones and neurotransmitters. And we we all have an ability to break the them down and some of us are just a bit slower at breaking them down than others which means that some of these stress hormones can hang around for a little bit too too long so it's almost like they're loitering in your system so you might perceive stress for a longer time than other people which will then affect your ability to to manage it and and equally we've we've got this concept of of allostatic load so it is that triggering that we might be exposed to a number of stressors and then you know we might just literally have something you know we might just literally spill the milk and that sends us over the edge so that isn't actually the major stressor in our life but just at that point that really was the major stressor in our life so and that is like the old saying that the is it the straw that broke the camel's back yeah yeah that, that, that element of it yeah, yeah, and that's a really, you know, that that that's the point, isn't it? You know, I think we all have a really good capacity and, and we can't we can't avoid stress. No matter how we we try, we can't do it. And it is just about adapting and managing it. And and there is, you know, we 
there are certain herbs, for example, adaptogenic herbs, and their sort of basic premise is that they introduce a very small stressor to the body to help it to adapt so that then when we're exposed to bigger stresses that we're better at adapting. So there is this idea that we do adapt, but but yeah, sometimes we just hit our limit. And that is, I think that's just human nature. And and equally with, with our pets, you know, in, in dogs, when we're looking at um, dealing with reactive dogs, we do look at this concept of trigger stacking. And, and that is the point, you know, we might have a really resilient dog but then you know one particular day we go out for a walk and we walk past some wheelie bins we walk past a big lorry we walk past a dog that's barking you know we walk past somebody wearing a hoodie or a big coat and it could just be that that sequence of events that that sends them over the edge but then any other day excuse me any other day they could meet a wheelie bin and they'd be absolutely fine so it is that that building of, of triggers really but but yeah for our dogs I mean the, the major sources of stress again you know loss so if they've they've lost one of their their friends in the family um moving home is another huge stressor for dogs but another one that we don't often think about is is changing routine and I think that has been highlighted with with the last year really you know if we've been working from home more um, they, they've had to deal with this, you know, whereas they might have usually gone to see a dog walker or, you know, a daycare centre or they might have just been used to us popping home at lunchtime. And, and suddenly, you know, they, they've got us for the whole day. Um, and, and, you know, it sort of touches back on what we were discussing in the last podcast about that that mirroring and the co-regulation. If, if they're spending more time with us and we, we might be particularly stressed because of, of things that are going on in our lives, have we then inadvertently made our dogs more stressed because we've been spending that extra time with them? So it all has that knock-on effect, doesn't it? So, so yeah, yeah. We, we've got a huge amount of, of you know, stresses that, that can cause these problems. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I'd like to just expand two points because you might not know, because uh, uh, I, but I definitely don't. So uh, I'm hoping that you can shed some light. One of them you said was about um, if we're dealing with long-term illnesses. Obviously, that must be the same in animals. If they've got, if they've got a you know a bad leg or they've, they've got something that they're dealing with, that's yeah. going to cause some stress, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it really is because, you know, not only are they, they trying to deal with the pain of it, but, you know, for, for our dogs, I suppose, the, the more common long term conditions are um, skeletal issues, musculoskeletal issues. So so we're not only then dealing with the pain, but we're dealing with um, the lack of mobility. They might not be able to engage in the activities that they always had. And, you know, a big source of, of stress release for our dogs is is actually sniffing when they're out on walks. So I'm a huge fan of, of just letting your dog sniff because it does help them lower their heart rate and it just, you know, lets them explore their environment and, and settle. So, you know, if they're not not as mobile as they used to be then then we're missing out that key opportunity to help reduce their heart rate and and you know bring some stress relief into their life so it is and, and equally you know they can if we come back to that mirroring again um if if we're dealing with long-term health problems then they've got to deal with it so if we've got mobility issues are we affecting their life so it is all of this this interlinking isn't it yeah, and you, you mentioned the point there that I, I, I just want to ask a quick question. You, I, yeah. If you don't know the answer, that's great. But um, obviously my wife has a horse um, yeah. and sometimes the horse gets spooked, uh, a bit like animals get spooked, like dogs get spooked, like you said about wheelie bins. And yeah. One of the things that we t- talked about was, are they smelling something different to us? Are they picking yeah. up some sense? Because obviously, I mean, my sense of smell is pretty atrocious. Um, and, and humans compared to animals is, is way, way down the scale. 
But yeah. are they actually picking something up different in their smells? Yeah, I mean... we can pick up and we're thinking, what's going on here? There is there is some data um, that suggests that that dogs, especially because they've got such brilliant um, capabilities, um, that they can actually um, smell the, the change in hormones. So if we're stressed or any other animals around them are stressed, they can they can smell up they can smell that that scent really. So so yeah, that is a really interesting point. And you know, not only are they sort of witnessing, but they can actually smell that change as well. Yeah, so I wasn't that wasn't that off the mark then when I was no. saying it smells different, so I, I can at least go back with that one. So <laughs> the last kind of point I'd like to kind of introduce was about foods. I mean, uh, you deal with a lot of nutrition, uh, you know, and you're an advocate of all different types of, uh, uh, you know, of, of feeding, but do, do, do foods, can foods cause stress and can foods support stress? That's what I'm asking, because you mentioned a little bit about some herbs, um, yeah. but how, how does yeah. it work? Yeah, so I mean, for for there are certain foods. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's lots of data that's coming out, and this is this is sort of my um, particular interest because it does um, food has such an impact on mood, and um, I suppose with with stress. There are there is data to suggest that certain foods contribute to feelings of, of stress and, and depression, um, anxiety. But for me, it's it's approaching it from a slightly different perspective. So when we are stressed, we obviously release um, hormones and, and neurotransmitters, which sort of send send the messages around our body to you know tell our our blood to to flow to our muscles so we could potentially run away. Um, it increases our heart rate and things. So when we are experiencing stress, we we do have a sort of depletion of resources and the thing is when we're constantly stressed then we do have this consistent depletion of of resources so in terms of nutrition it's actually about including those nutrients in our diet to support that response and we do see that we get certain depletion um, of of b vitamins for example because b vitamins are water soluble so we do have a high turnover in the body but when we're stressed they are key cofactors in producing um stress sort of chemicals shall we say so the more we're stressed the more demand we've got so we do have that depletion. So, so for me, um, it's it's about supporting the diet and including lots of um, you know useful foods really. So things like leafy greens. I'm a huge fan of leafy greens. So getting your spinach in, um, getting your butterhead salads, um, and it's a really um, it's actually quite easy to get some additional leafy greens in your diet. So if you're a fan of um, sausage and mash, you can um, get some kale and just in the last five minutes of, of boiling your potatoes, just put some kale in and mash it in. It's a really good way of hiding it from kids as well because they've got no concept that you've hidden it in there um but if you're a fan of rice and things then you know when you're stir frying your rice then you can put some spinach in so it's just trying to get some additional um sources of leafy greens in in where you can really um but there's blueberries um they're a really good addition to the diet because they're a source of antioxidants and, and vitamin c um they're also a really good source of fiber and, and fiber is really important for gut health and also um as we know majority of our serotonin um we find in the gut so we do need this this healthy gut um so we we never hit our fiber targets our current fiber targets for humans are about 30 grams a day and on average we're about 18 grams a day so we're nowhere near what we need to be so it's just trying to get as much plant sort of based foods in as, as we can really and really up that fiber intake um but you'll like this one chocolate yep. is a really good one um, oh, for stress go, <laughs> can i just say chocolate does nothing for me I, i'm not a chocolate fan uh cheese which i'm sure is not great yes 
but chocolate, unfortunately, is not in my top oh. 10, not in my top 20, to be honest. So, but that would, I'm sure, would be great for other people. Quick point then, how do I, how do I get some of that, some of that healthy stuff uh, to a diet of a dog, maybe? So in, in our dog, um, the, the, I'm a huge advocate for fresh feeding. Um, you know, it's, it's in its natural form, so it's more um, bioavailable and it's more easily digested. So um, dogs too, you know, the, there's this sort of theory that, that they are carnivores, they can only eat meat, but they, they do have a diminished capacity to, to eat carbohydrate sources, but they still can. So you can still include um, fruit and veg in, in the diet of the dog. So again, I'm a huge fan of, of leafy greens for, for dogs. So I'd always advocate for a, a fresh food um highly meat content so you want your protein you want your fat in there and then including um, your leafy greens but berries are a really good source of, of antioxidants um so you can include your blueberries you can include your raspberries um and and all of your um your leafy greens as well so Fantastic. seeds seeds are a good option as well because they've got um your omega-3 content and we know that omega-3 is really good for, for brain health so so any sources of omega-3 like your fish your oily fish um or your seeds they're they're a really good addition as well fantastic so i can tell my kids now that dogs are omnivores is that right um well there's mm. there's a right huge there's a huge disagreement um they're facultative carnivores so they can they can i'm not, eat. I'm not, I'm not taking that along to my five and seven year old tonight when we talk about dinosaurs <laughs> oh i'm afraid to say that they're not omnivores they're whatever you've just said it's it's a huge it's a huge um yeah query in in the dog world but they they just have a they have a limited capacity to to digest um carbohydrates but they they still can to an extent in in terms of of fruit and veg um the benefits that we do get from them um i mean there's some people that that say that they shouldn't have them at all and and you know that's absolutely fine because dogs can can thrive off a meat diet um but equally you know you can add these things to the bowl and you can you can gain the benefits from them Fantastic. So that, again, I think I've been well, truly educated, especially understanding that I shouldn't be calling them omnivores and that's <laughs> just down to dinosaurs with my own children. But also I think it's important that, you know, I think some good like, little cookery tips there, which wasn't really on our agenda, of yeah. trying to get a few different elements into, you know, into people's diets, um, just understanding that and the benefits. So, yeah, again, fantastic great for your time really appreciate it um, and maybe we can catch up again uh, soon and talk about maybe um just about how we can reduce things and and, and the links to socialization with humans and animals maybe Would yeah absolutely be interested in yeah absolutely fantastic well thank you again for your time um and this was ipet network a podcast on uh, with educating tony um and maybe look, look out for the next episode thank you oh thank you